Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on whipandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock.com, as well as amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. Let's open up to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I'll pray. And I'm going to talk for roughly 30 minutes, maybe 35, and then we're just going to do Q&A until 3. No matter what, we're going to be done at 3. Uh, so, let me pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Would you help us to be all here now, even if maybe we're a little asleep because we just ate all that great food? Um, fill us full of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to listen well, to think well, and even to interact well and dialogue well. And would this be a time that really does help sharpen us spiritually so that we can be more effective on the campus for your glory, for your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, I've got a friend. He's Australian. Uh, and he was recently asking me, uh, you know, I've got non-Christian friends. I'm trying to talk to them about Christ. I, but they don't believe the Bible's true. So where do you start if they don't even believe the Bible's true? It's a great question. And you don't have to be Australian to wrestle with that, right? That's happening right where we're at. And there are many people in the Christian world today who... I love and respect and trust and think highly of that, that are saying something like this. See if you haven't heard this narrative coming from many different people. Um, 20, 30, 40 years ago, most people in America, certainly in the Southeast where I do most of my ministry, right? Birmingham's like the belt buckle of the Bible belt. Uh, the Midwest where a lot of y'all are doing ministry. People had all the right doctrinal furniture, so to speak, in their brain. They believed in a God. They believed in a judgment. They believed in an afterlife sin. They just didn't have it in the right order. And you could meet them. You could talk to them about Jesus, the cross, grace alone. And you could lead them to Christ pretty quickly and easily. But today, most people don't even have the right doctrinal furniture in their mind or it's very suppressed, or their worldview is antagonistic to it. So it's a much longer, harder process, because a lot of times you have to help establish the right doctrinal furniture in their mind before you can even start putting in the right direction. Have you heard things like that, maybe even a similar? And what I want to say is, I think that's a true point. I think that's a valid point. I think that's an important point. But I think if that's the main point that we think about in evangelism, we're all going to probably be overwhelmed, and most of us are going to quit and give up. And while it's a true point, it's an important point, it's not the most important point. Um, and so that's what I'm going to try to talk about today, all right, is that uh, Francis Schaeffer was saying as early as the 1950s, right, like back when Ike was the president, that uh, even then people had already lost the Christian worldview, but they were just still living off the remnants of their parents' Christian worldview, so they were still pretty nice moral people. Well, we're 70-plus years removed from that now. That sounds bad. But then I just have to remind myself when I'm trying to encourage myself. It's like, you know, even in the Bible, like going all the way back to Genesis, you have stories of violent homosexual rapists. You have incest, even in Christian believing, believing families. Even in the nation of Judah, you had child sacrifice. You have terrible persecution. Even when Jesus walked the earth, they murdered God. And Pilate in John 18 said, what is truth? I mean, he sounds like the greatest postmodern of all time. Ecclesiastes 1.9 is true. There's nothing new in the sun, right? I mean, if the point is to revive a dead sinner, 
in some sense, there's not really different degrees of dead men. Right? If Greg had said, hey, we're going to have a ministry comparison at the 3 o'clock hour for anybody that's bold and wants to hang around, we got a couple of dead bodies out here. We're going to see who's the best minister. Who can go out there and raise the guy from the dead? Oh, by the way, one guy's been dead for four months. The other guy's been dead for four years. I still don't want to sign up, right? I don't want to be like, yeah, give me the four-month guy and everything will be fine. Trying to raise a dead person, whether they've been dead four months or four years, it's bad. Okay, So, um, the Westminster Confession of Faith, this is a Presbyterian uh, conference. Greg said if I didn't quote it at least once that I didn't get paid. So here you go, okay? (laughs) Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 1, section 5. We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and revered esteem of the Holy Scripture and the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, the many other incomparable excellencies and the entire perfection thereof are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the Word of God. So it's like there's all these things that you can say and argue and show students or whoever, you ought to believe that this really is the Bible. Yet, notwithstanding our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing Christ by and with the words in our hearts. And so here's the point. Is there a lot of this apologetic stuff that we need to do and we probably need to be getting better at? Yes. But at the end of the day, I and you don't need to feel the burden to be the next Tim Keller. And if we can't be as good as Tim Keller, we're not going to be an effective evangelist. Because at the end of the day, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to supernaturally awaken dead sinners through the preaching of the Word. Now, when I use the word preach, and I think I'm in good uh, biblical company here, I mean something like this. I mean what Zach's going to do to a thousand people every Sunday here. And I mean one-on-one across the Starbucks table when you're talking about Christ and salvation. That fits in my definition, okay, for what I'm talking about. So, uh, three quick points. Second Corinthians, uh, a lot of people are missing Christ. Let's actually start Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. And their minds were hardened. Excuse me, but their minds were hardened for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. And skip down into chapter 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So Paul's talking about in his day, you know, maybe this is 60 A.D., and you've got these Jewish people who believed in the Old Testament as the Scripture of God. But they didn't believe in Christ as the Messiah. They're reading the Old Testament, and they could make sense of it at some level, but they can't see the glory that points to Christ. Why? Because they're dead in their sins. Because their hearts are hard, their hearts are blind, and it's a supernatural blindness that Satan has affected in their heart. They're petrified. In some sense, there's no hope. John Calvin, that's what Zach told me I had to quote, okay? Um, (laughs) Speaking about this verse, blinding them, how does he do it? By diverting them from hearing, by stirring up the enmity of their minds against it. Haven't you ever been sharing the gospel with somebody that's like, it's not just they disagree with what I'm saying, they hate what I'm saying. 
You shouldn't be surprised. And by increasing their natural darkness and blindness with respect to it. So if we just stop there, that's pretty depressing, right? I want a new job. What are we supposed to do? I mean, you say, well, I guess I'll just pray. I mean, it's all a miracle. There's nothing. I just pray. I'll just stay at home on the couch and pray. It's great. I don't even have to go to campus anymore. But Paul doesn't stop there. Look at the next verse, verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. So Paul says, preach Christ and be a servant. Preach Christ and humbly go love people and serve them. I mean, the greatest apologetic, John chapter 13, verse 35, they will know you're my people by your love, the way you love one another. Have that attitude towards them. Now listen, when I, when I say preach Christ, and again, I'm not just talking about from a pulpit. This can be hanging out at the intramural field, talking to somebody about Christ. Maybe in the 1980s, you know, on a Campus Crusade beach project, you could just walk up to somebody in America and say, you need to repent of your sins, brother, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, and be saved. And you know what? You might have somebody say, you're right. I know you're right. You know, I was just coming to the water fountain, but I'm glad you stopped me and said that. My mom's been after me, my Sunday school teacher. You're right, I'm going to pray right now. If you do that right now in 2023 over at Bradley University, how do you think that's going to go for you? you what's that? Yeah, fan, yeah, probably not fantastic. You weirdo, you freak show, who do you think you are? I don't think I believe in a God. And if I do, it's certainly not the God of the Bible. She's a sin. What are you talking about? I don't need salvation. I'm living my best life now. The mental furniture's not there. So, there's a lot of other things, even biblically, we can and should do. Some people would call this pre-evangelism that I'm about to go through here. Okay, But don't, don't get caught up in the distinction of, well, is that pre-evangelism evangelism? The point's move somebody closer to Christ, wherever they are. So flip over to Romans 10. Let's look at a very familiar passage from Paul. Romans 10, and we'll, we'll start in verse 13. I mean, think about this as just a very simplistic evangelistic strategy. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I mean, that's pretty bottom line. Ask Jesus to save you and He will. But then look at what Paul's going to do next. There's at least four steps here. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? So if you just go backwards through those two verses, a church has got to send somebody based off the way Paul thinks about it. The preachers have to actually go and preach. And then people actually have to say, I believe in this Christ. And notice this. We'll come back to this later. This is interesting. Paul, even this is a two-step. Once you believe, then you still have to call on him to save you. So there's four steps. There's a lot more, though. I mean, I think that's Paul's skeletal outline. But flip over really quickly to Acts chapter 8. Well, let's just look at some in Acts. And before we even get to Acts 8, y'all just, we won't flip there, but you know it. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. But one of the most important things the Holy Spirit did was make sure that the apostles could preach the language that could be understood, right? Now, I don't think we're going to have a tongue of fire service later tonight. Lord, if you want to do that, I'd, I'd participate, right? But <laughs> if God calls you to be a missionary in Mexico and you don't speak Spanish, you better buy Rosetta Stone. <laughs> there, there are practical things that you need to do to be able to preach Christ in the language of the people that you go to and then even if you do speak the right language look in Acts chapter 8 
Verse 30, Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Back then when people would read, typically they would read out loud even if they were by themselves so he could hear what he was reading. He picked a good chapter, didn't he? He's reading Isaiah 53 and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? You might want to underline that word guide. I may come back to that later, okay? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So sometimes it's not even enough to just read the Bible. We need somebody to explain it. We won't go back there and look, but if you remember Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, Ezra and other people are preaching, and part of what it says is they translated the word for people. And it wasn't just translation. They gave them a sense of the meaning. Illustrations, stories. They're trying to make it make sense. Now flip over to Acts chapter 17. We all know this famous passage. Paul goes to Athens. Probably some of the smartest, most intelligent people of all time were there. And look at what he's going to do. Acts chapter 17, verse 23. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. And skip down to verse 28. For in him we live and move and exist, and as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children." And y'all have heard probably other people expose this text. But Paul was, was smart enough and wise enough to say, let me look at the Athenians' worldview. And there was stuff that he hated about it because he knew it was wrong. Remember a few verses earlier it says his spirit was vexed within him because of all the idols they had. But he said, you know what? They've at least got enough smarts and enough humility to admit there's at least one God that they don't know who it is. He's like, that's my starting point. Now, there can be a type of Christianity that, um, that I think I used to be a part of. It's kind of what I would call the backwoods, redneck, right-wing, extremist kind of, you know, all Christians are a bunch of evil, stupid morons. And, every, you know, and, and we might look at that and say, look at all these idols. It's just moronic. It's not what Paul did. He said, hey, you got one idol over here, and I find a point of agreement. You say there's at least one God that you don't know about. And, I, and I'm agreeing with you. There's one God you don't know about. He just happens to be the only true God. And then he says, you know what? There's even one of your pagan poets. He has a line that I really like. I've read it. I know it. And this is what so many people like Tim Keller today, Paul then, St. Augustine. I've, had it, I've wanted to read City of God for years. I Literally, I've had it, I think, since almost college. And finally, I decided, by golly, I'm reading it this year. Okay? And, I, and I remembered why I put it off so long. Because the first third of the book, it's not even really Bible. It's, it's Augustine trying to interact with all the Roman pagans and get so much into their worldview and what they believed about their gods and deities and what they learned from Plato and agree where he can, but then disagree where it's wrong so that he can set up Christianity. So guys... It's good. It's good to learn the worldview that we're living in. So we can say there are points of agreement where Christianity and you agree. But because Christianity is the only absolute truth, it's the only worldview that never contradicts itself. Every other worldview out there eventually will contradict itself. And if you can be a loving person, find the worldview. Now, this is important. But there was a guy once upon a time named Mark Driscoll. Some of y'all may remember. 
him. And, and there was a lot of things Mark Driscoll said that I really liked, I'll be honest, okay? But, but I remember one time he was talking, he said, if you're going to be a great pastor, you've got to have like three different DVRs at your house so you can TV, TiVo like every show that's important to culture and watch it and know all. And I was like, ah, and listen, I like TV. I'm not anti-TV. But I'm like, really? To be a great pastor? You've got to have three DVRs running at all? I mean, I, here's my point. You can't do everything. And if push comes to shove, I'd rather you spend more time studying the Bible to teach the Bible than studying the present worldview. That's the main thing I'm trying. Listen, I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying that's the minor point. This is the major point. Acts chapter 18, verse 4. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. I have heard Christians say, well, you know, we shouldn't really try to like persuade people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You just kind of put the truth out. No. Reason. Argue. Lovingly debate them in a winsome way. Now, here's the way I like to think about it. Just, just imagine that this, this book represents some objection that somebody has to Christianity. I'll give you an I was sharing with a guy at the gym recently. Talk, this guy's grown up his whole life in Birmingham. And as I'm getting to talk to him, ever been to church? Never been to church. Almost didn't believe him. I almost want to say, you're a liar. Come on. You know, somebody made you go once. He said, no, no. He said, my family didn't go. We like to sleep in on Sunday. Never been. Okay. I said, well, do you believe in a God? He said, ah, maybe. He said, I really believe in science. Big Bang, all that stuff. See, in a sense, he's putting in objection. I don't even want to talk Bible stuff. I've kind of already found my worldview. Now, I'm not an expert in astronomy. I don't want to start debating with him, light years and stuff. But what if I could just say, well, what if there's a way to read Genesis 1 and 2, hypothetically, that the Big Bang Theory could actually work in conjunction with the Bible? God spoke, let there be light and Big Bang. I'm not even saying I believe that, but just what if it's plausible? What am I? I'm just trying to remove an objection out of the way to get him to look at the Bible. Does that make sense? And that anytime you're trying to remove objection that gets them to the Bible, that's a good thing. That's not bad. But the best thing is still just to get them to read the Bible, interact with the Bible, listen to the Bible. So part of what he had just got done telling me that he's trying to personally better himself and read more, I said, you know what? I said, you ever read in the Bible? He said, not really. I said, I got a copy of just the Gospel of John, 21 chapters about the life of Jesus. Would you be willing to read it if I gave it to you? Sure. Now, he still doesn't believe the Bible's true, but... I want to get him reading the Bible, and why. And this is really kind of my main point, because at the end of the day, the Bible is self-authenticating. That's what the Westminster Confession of Faith was trying to say, is there's a lot that we can do to get people to kind of mentally believe, even in Christianity. But for the last step of true salvation, that's a supernatural miracle that's out of our hands. So I just want to hammer this point for just a second. All right. Um, you know, the classic kind of definition understanding of faith is that it really has three parts, right? It's, it's knowledge, then it's assent, then it's trust. I could tell you the five pillars of Islam. I have knowledge about Islam, but I don't assent that it's true. I could also tell you knowledge about this chair, right? This is a chair that's supposed to be able to hold up all of my body weight. I could assent and say, I believe in that chair. I assent to the truth. But until I sit in the chair, I haven't trusted it. Human beings, good Christians, with all of our apologetic skills, with all of our reasoning and debating skills, with all of our examples of love and mercy, we can get people 
I think, to knowledge and assent of Christianity. But we can't get them to true saving trust apart from the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter Kraft, he's a Catholic uh, philosophy professor at Boston College, written some great books. Uh, he has this quote, he says, Reason is like dating, faith is like marriage. <laughs> right? I mean, what are you doing in dating? You're like, I'm trying to figure out is the juice worth the squeeze here? All right, don't say that if you're still actually in the dating process. Uh, but that's what, you, you're investigating. But then marriage, I don't care how long you dated, how much you know, right? Love is blind. Marriage is an eye opener. It, it, it's, a, it's a step of faith once you jump in and go all the way in. You really don't know what you're getting until you got it. We can lead somebody with all the reasoning. It's like they're dating Jesus. But for them to really commit to Jesus, it's a step of faith. Okay. Scripture, this is still craving. Scripture itself commands us to give and therefore to have reasons for our faith, right? 1 Peter 3.16. Give a reason for the hope. You're supposed to be able to give a logical reason. He said, God sometimes rides into a human heart on the back of the plodding donkey of proofs. He uses them, but they are mere means. Often used, often dispensed with. I mean, Jesus chose one time to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Other times he just walked into the city on his feet. Don't mistake the donkey for Jesus. Same way, sometimes it might be proofs that God wants you to use to get somebody to trust in the Lord Jesus. Some great apologetic argument that you read from Lee Strobel, right? The case for Christ. I love that kind of stuff. Use it. Don't put your hope in it. Put your hope in the Holy Spirit and His Word. Pascal. He said, God instills religion into our minds with reasoned arguments, but into our hearts with grace. So we're addressing the heart. I mean, excuse me, we're addressing the mind, but then praying the Holy Spirit's going to take it and sink it to the heart. So there's people out there missing Christ. We're preaching Christ. Third point. We want them to see Christ. Go back to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I mean, Paul's going all the way back to Genesis 1-3. There was no such thing as light. didn't exist in our universe. And God just said, let there be light. And it supernaturally, instantly was created. When somebody gets saved, it's the exact same thing. Because God just says, faith in their heart. Boom, and it happens. See the glory. And it's there. Taste it. Um, obviously, we have a part to play. But we're working in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. R.C. Sproul. God's sovereign initiation is necessary to enable us to embrace the gospel message. Illumination has two steps. There's the external from the Word. They're reading. We're talking Bible. But there's the internal from the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't impart new information. It's not like they're going to have a dream totally separate from what you've been teaching them in the Bible. Oh, I had a dream last night and I got saved based on my dream. No. The Holy Spirit enlightens otherwise darkened minds to discern divinity through sensing its unique impact. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. Everybody remember that verse, right? We don't even have to flip there. It's where, but who do you say I am? You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Now listen, if there was ever a time that somebody could have legitimately said, Peter, you know the reason that you know that? It's because I'm such a great teacher. I am Jesus. <laughs> I am such a loving servant. I am the God of the universe. 
But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, Peter, son of Simon Barjona, meaning you're just a normal man, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My Father in heaven did it. Even then it was a supernatural miracle. If that was true in Jesus' ministry, how much more so am I? One commentator, a guy named Nelson, said, People didn't come to faith in Jesus Christ by scrutiny or searching, but by the Father's revelation of the Son to them. Matthew Henry, Man may open the cause. Right? You may open up kind of a debate with people. Get them interested. Get them open, plausible. But it is the Spirit only who can open the heart. We cannot profit by the Scriptures unless we do in some measure understand them. So I'm explaining it to people so they understand it, but then the Holy Spirit has to bring it on. Listen, if the point was, no, you can really reason your way into salvation, you know what that means? It means Christianity is a very elitist religion because all the smart people are going to be in heaven and all the dumb people are going to be in hell. But I've been in churches and ministries long enough to know that ain't true, right? And you know what? I'm glad it's not true. Because I'm not the smartest. I don't think I'm the dumbest either. But I'm way too close to the middle. And it's like, where's God drawing that line? I don't know if I'm getting in. Right? I'm glad it's all by grace. John chapter 16. John chapter 16. John chapter 16, start in verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away. If I do not go away, the Helper who will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. I mean, just pause, guys, for a second. This is one of those verses that's so radical. It's like, do I really believe that? If the option was, hey, Olin, next time you go over to the campus to share the gospel, Jesus, in his physical body, beard, robe, and sandals and all, is going to go into the fraternity house with you. I'm like... That sounds really attractive. You never get stumped again, right? You never get intimidated again. You just hide behind Jesus, right? But he, what he's saying is, no, no, the Holy Spirit's going to come and live in you. And in a sense, the Holy Spirit will preach through you just the way Jesus was if he was there. And not perfectly, because we mess it up with our sin. Verse 8, And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Charles Rowry, speaking about that, says, He breaks down the indifference of a typical pagan that has no conviction of sin with a low regard for holiness, who pays no heed to the warnings of coming judgment. And then just skip down and look at verse 13. But when, the Holy, when He, the Holy Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. The word guide there in the Greek is the exact same word in Acts chapter 8, verse 31 we looked at earlier, where the eunuch was saying, Philip, I need you to guide me. In the Scriptures. And here, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will guide you. Guys, the best evangelism is the Holy Spirit and the human being working hand-in-hand conjunction, guiding somebody in the Scriptures to see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Guide could literally mean to lead, to bring, to teach, to direct, with an emphasis on getting certain people to their destination, definitely. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm hearing all this, there's at least a subtle temptation to say, I don't have to study as much. I don't have to prepare as much. I'll just show up, man. If the wind of the Spirit blows, it's going to be beautiful. And if the wind of the Spirit doesn't blow, it's not my fault. 
But Nelson said again, he said, the Spirit isn't given to make study needless, but to make it effective. I mean, this ought to really make us more hopeful and hardworking and driven. God, show up, meet me where I'm at. John Piper, you teach people the human Bible, so to speak, so that they can know the divine Bible. They can hear the voice of God in it. Preaching, teaching, one-on-one evangelism, it takes truth to the mind, but the Holy Spirit will take it to their hearts. John Calvin again says, The voice of God soundeth in the mouth of men to our salvation. Isn't that wonderful? I'm on, I mean, don't you love the story in the Old Testament of Balaam's donkey? Isn't that just an encouragement every day? It's like, if God spoke to that jackass, He can speak to this jackass. <laughs> but really, I mean, guys, in some sense, it ought to be more shocking. Yes, I'm made in the image of God, and that donkey wasn't. But I'm a lot more sinful in my practical day-to-day experience than that donkey was and that God can use me to speak a word that would wake the dead spiritually it's glorious Pascal again who again was a genius right reason's last step is the recognition that there are an infinite number of things which are beyond it In all our reasoning, the best thing we can do is take them to a place where they say, I don't know everything. If somebody tells me that they're an agnostic, I can at some level respect that. I'll just be brutally honest. If somebody tells me an atheist, I have a hard time respecting that. I'm like, really? You're 100% sure there's no God? It's insanity. It's arrogance. Romans 1 says it's a lie. But if they can at least say, yeah, I guess hypothetically there could be a God. It's a good starting point. Get them there. All right, the bottom line. All right, if you don't remember anything else, I know this is a lot. Here's the bottom line. The Bible has self-authenticating glory. If you will get them to read the Bible, listen to the Bible, discuss the Bible, talk the Bible, in some sense live the Bible in front of them, that's their best chance of coming to Christ. Better than all the apologetic tools you could ever use. I'm not against those things. Just employ them in service, ultimately, of getting people to the Bible. Calvin again in the Institutes. Whence we learn to distinguish light from darkness, white from black, sweet from bitter. Indeed, Scripture exhibits fully as clear evidence of its own truth as white and black things do of their color or sweet and bitter things do of their taste. If you have kids, none of us had to teach our kids, this food tastes bitter. You won't like it. This food tastes sweet. You will like it. They just know. They just know. And when God opens somebody's eyes, they just know this is the Word of God. It's true. Jonathan Edwards. I love this quote. The gospel of the blessed God does not go abroad a-begging for its evidence, so much as some think. It has its highest and most proper evidence in itself. The mind ascends to the truth of the gospel but by one step, and that is its divine glory. Piper again. The whole Bible, properly understood, has this divine purpose, to communicate and display the glory of God. The pervasive aim of the Scriptures is carried through in such a way that God Himself stands forth unmistakably as the unerring author guiding the human authors of the Bible. And you know Piper, eventually, if he talks about anything, it's going to get to joy and satisfaction, right? It's it's not enough just to see the glory of God in the Scriptures. You've got to taste it. You've got to see it. You've got to savor it. And he says, by this satisfaction, we are changed at the root of our being. 
John Owen. God irritates the mind with a spiritual light whereby it is enabled to discern the glory of spiritual things. And Piper commenting on that, this miracle is absolutely decisive in everything else that happens in the Christian life. One more quote. Jonathan Edwards again. The first effect of the power of God in the heart of regeneration is to give the heart a divine taste to sense, to cause it to have a relish for the loveliness and sweetness of the supreme excellency of the divine nature. Super fast, I'm almost done. Application. Be humble. It's easy for Christians to be arrogant because what I said earlier is true. Only we have the right worldview. Our worldview is right. Everybody else is wrong. That's true. That'll make you arrogant. Unless you constantly remind me, the only reason that I believe in the right worldview is I was dead and God chose me and I had mercy and I didn't have anything to do with it. Preach that to yourself to keep yourself humble. And that should make you so gentle, so loving. Even Listen, at the heart of our religion is a Savior that died for my sins. He sacrificed. So when I go talk to these people, I should be sacrificial and not put out with all their objections and questions. There was a survey done of Muslims who'd come to Christ. Really quick. What was kind of the deciding factor that got them over the hump? 5% said they just walked into a church. So, hey, just invite them to a church. That's probably not the best strategy, certainly with Muslims. 25% of them got Christian literature. A little bit better, but again, probably don't just hand them a Christian book to the Muslim you're sharing with. 50% said Christian media did play some role. So whether that was satellite TV, you know, radio, something like that. 60% had a dream. And that can start to make some of us, you know, the more conservative you are, the more you love John MacArthur. That really start to make you feel weird. Start talking about dreams. But, but you hear that from all over the place, right? But here's the thing. Of all the testimonies of Muslims coming to Christ influenced by a dream, I've never heard one that said, I had the dream, and in the dream, somebody shared the gospel and I got saved, right? It's always, I had a dream that I needed to go to this church, and then I met somebody. Left. I had a dream that there was this book I needed to find and read, and I found a Bible and read. I had this dream of somebody that looked like Jesus, and so I went to a Christian. It's always works with doctrine. But here's 85% said the love of a Christian played an important role. Preach Christ, live Christ. Be humble, be loving, be hopeful. Listen, God can save Putin if He wants to save Putin. He saved the Apostle Paul, saved you, saved me. And then this ought to lead us guys to be more hardworking. God's going to use us. The elector's still out there. Go get them. But ultimately, just be restful. The pressure's off. Do your part. Work hard as unto the Lord. But don't carry this heavy burden that it's all... It's not on you. God will bless. Camp Outreach has got a group in Brazil. They've been there a long time. Years ago, one of our guys was down there wanted to start a Bible study. And uh, he'd met a student on campus that said, I would love for you to host your Bible study at my house. And I'll invite my friends. You invite whoever you want. But I've but I got to tell you before, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in it. I'm not even interested in it. He's like, this is very strange, right? Uh, but I'd love to have, I mean, that's the kind of person you want because all his friends are non-Christians. And the guy would say, I think it's beautiful. Like I, when I read Christianity, if you know Brazilians, they, at least they used to use that word a lot 20 years ago. All these things are beautiful. Great. So they had the Bible set at the house. They were going through the Gospel of John. Weeks, I think months. And this guy was there every week. And I think he would even say, at some point during the Bible study, without fail, the host, at some point in my Bible study is going to say, 
I don't believe any of this. It's all a fairy tale. It's all a myth. But I think it's very lovely. It's very beautiful. And he said, after a few months, one day we walked in, we're kind of gathered, and this guy just kind of walked out and said, it's true. It's all true. And they're like, what are you talking about it's true? It's like, the gospel, Christ, salvation. What happened? He just was getting soaked in the scripture. And at some point, the self-authenticating glory changed his heart. Father, thank you for the huge privilege to be in ministry. Keep us humble. Make us humble, hardworking, and hopeful for your glory, not our own. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.